0: Welcome to another episode of Mastermind Discussions. I'm your host, Matthew LaCroix. Today, I have a very special guest, a close friend of mine and a colleague, someone who I have a lot of respect for, who is like to name a couple of his um, things that he really focuses on, but he's a great musician. He's also a very, very talented writer and an esoteric researcher. So him and I, um, similar to my last guest, Kedrick, have had a lot of really amazing conversations So many that were just, you're like, wow, I wish someone could hear, you know, some of those things that you connect along the way when you, when you mastermind and discuss with another person. So I'm going to try to get that, um, that same type of flow with, with Adam today. I want to really just say that he's truly a great mind. How are you doing, my friend? Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction, Matt. And thank you for this opportunity and for inviting me to do this. I'm great. Happy to be here.
0: Well, it's good to get you on and talk to you. I think a lot of people would be very interested in hearing about your path and some of these really interesting things that you're working on and accomplishing, and also some of the studies you've done. I think the highlight of this show, really the emphasis of this show, will be on just a whole host of ancient esoteric um, writings, teachings, and then how those books and that knowledge just transforms us into a completely different person. And it really comes along, though, with that unique individual who's, in some ways, it often seems on people that listen to this and, and connect to this, that you're, those people that are attracted to these studies later on are often going to off to the side of society a little bit. They feel a little bit different. Maybe talk a little bit about your your path and about who you are um, and how you got on this this, this direction that you're
1: on now. So how do we even want to start this? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say, you know, I'm so glad that we've become friends. And I think one of the things that really connects you and I is that we're looking for these common threads, right? We're kind of trying to connect the dots all over the place. And I love that your work specializes in ancient civilizations and really digging into the proof of what we have left and, and untapped resources. And how does this human story connect around the world throughout time? You know, I love that you and Kedrick are working on a timeline and obviously I won't give away anything there, but that type of, you know, idealism of like, what are the mysteries of the universe? How do we even approach this? You know, and I think I've really been on this path, you know, since childhood. You know, I think I told you that I I used to think I was an alien when I was a really, really little kid. Like I literally used to just wander around the playground by myself, like staring up at the sky.
0: I think a lot of us felt like that. We almost yeah. felt like we were from somewhere else that wasn't really from here. You know, totally. like you, just, you didn't, it was almost like you could, you could, I remember watching people interact and often being kind of outside that, like wondering, you know, what, why they're acting the way they are, but not really wanting to conform a little bit. So you, I remember you had an in- interesting childhood of, um, eventually, in, when you became, got into becoming a teenager, had some really like strange experiences and all these things shaped you. Mm-hmm. you know, maybe mention some, what some of those were.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just again, when I was a kid, just kind of feeling like I was different, having complete different interests. And you know, I have I've realized, because I was thinking about our talk and you know, what is the thesis of this conversation that we're having today? And what is the thesis of my research? What am I getting into? And really, I think it's a fascination with consciousness. What is consciousness? You know, and I think I've also told you that you know, for my whole life I've thought so deeply about certain stuff. I would I would just get into it, you know, for minutes, hours at a time until the bubble would kind of burst, you know. And whether it was about space or consciousness or souls or life or death or God or whatever this is, you know. So I think naturally feeling like an outcast led me to getting into like you know sci-fi and uh, fantasy books as a kid because you know it's like. What magic and aliens, you know, again, this is like our, our daily <laughs> means. You know, working at Gaia obviously is just a part of this path. You know, I had originally found Gaia as a resource for this book series that I'm working on, which I started when I was like 11, um, because I guess I've always had this kind of, you know, information coming through me or something like that. I was, I would have, you know, out of body you know, experiences when I was a kid, but I didn't know that I was astral projecting or whatever. And it's only until I got older that I started studying about lucid dreaming and astral projecting that I realized I was in sleep paralysis constantly as a kid, you know, that crazy, like, uh, in between, you know, a projection or a lucid dream or an OBE, as they call it. So all of these things were kind of swimming around in my head. And again, you know, I, I kind of, got really deep into these worlds of, you know, mysticism and magic and aliens and space and sci-fi and fantasy when I was really young, reading constantly, you know, and that kind of led me to want to become a writer and have my own book series and everything. And I started building this whole world and all these characters. But then, as I told you, you know, kind of life happened. I was playing sports in high school. I got really, really into music and started bands and I was dating different girls and just didn't have time for all this Kid stuff, you know, no more like fantasizing or anime or creating worlds or sketching or, you know, whatever. And then as I got older, it just kind of kept, I kept being confronted with it. I couldn't get away from it to the point where, as you were saying, in my late teens and early 20s, I started having really insane, uh, mystical experiences. And I always look back at the year 2012 as kind of when, you know, the levee broke, if you will, where it's just like it was undeniable. I think by that point, I was already almost finished with college, living in Detroit, you know, studying English, teaching, writing, doing all the stuff that I, I wanted to do to try and help the world become a better place, you know, help educate people to, you know, take charge of their own lives and, you know, take care of each other. But teaching on 8 Mile and running around trying to take care of myself and all that, it, it just wasn't panning out. and You know, you realize the absurdity of life and the way our civilization is set up right now, it's just, it's not conducive to, you know, the masses of people who are just really struggling to make ends meet. So confronted with all of that and kind of the, you know, ineptitude of what I was able to do with all of that, I feel like I was getting really depressed in my early 20s. And, you know, like I had told you before, it was all black and white and listening to a lot of Joy Division and reading a lot of existentialism and, You know, I just really wasn't sure that there was anything that mattered if there was so much suffering happening in the world, you know, and I I felt like everything was very black and white and I was going dark, you know, even though I was trying to help other people and teaching and whatnot. And then slowly my life started turning when I was having all these weird experiences kind of over and over again. And I started, you know, turning my entire framework of philosophy around and around the year 2011, 2012. And then, as I said, that's when things really went haywire. And, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of energy going around that year and weird things happening. People thought it was like the end of the world, according to the Mayan calendar. You know, but now people are saying, oh, the Gregorian calendar's off. So it's actually happening now and blah, blah, blah. So over the last decade, you know, it's been a a huge growth for me. But um, I would definitely say getting into further into my book series, Lucid Dreaming, Astro And then eventually psychedelics, which I've only had a handful of psychedelic experiences, but they really helped me uh, break on through to the other side, as Jim Morrison put it. And um, yeah, I'm more than happy to talk about those and then the different kind of um, paranormal interstellar experiences I've had, which really just left me, you know, again, confronted with the fact that we don't really know what we're existing within or upon or inside of and, you know, what consciousness is we don't really have a a definition you know we have this is a huge interesting factor for me with something like ted right because i've been teaching for so long even after i got out of the public school system i was teaching english as a second language to people from all over the world which was amazing a great experience and i would use ted talks a lot and different podcasts and informational tidbits to get you know conversation starters going and something i noticed with ted is they've they've only banned a few TED Talks, right? And some of my favorite people, uh, Graham Hancock, who we're both fans of, and then Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. And the biggest thing that TED had said was why they had banned them, which ironically made them more popular, was really that it was going against mainstream science's big message that consciousness is created within the brain. Right, And we're now again confronted with this reality that we are finding out that's just not true. It's just not true. And the research of Dr. Rupert Sheldrake specifically is just amazing. His whole theory into morphic resonance how all of our senses are really an expansion of our consciousness that are creating this kind of reality around us that we're interfacing with other consciousness through. Um, it's, it's really, really valid. <laughs> And I think through quantum mechanics and the observer effect, and because we can't even nail down whether matter is a particle or a wave, it can be both, it can be either or, you know, it's proving all of this stuff that, you know, spiritualism, mysticism, theology, you know, it's been studied for thousands and thousands of years and I think the West has just written off a lot of this stuff and now it's starting to be like, oh wait, maybe These thousands of years of ancient wisdom from the East that have kind of spilled, you know, West have something to say. So, again, it was a kind of an interest in all of these things, the confluence that led me down different rabbit holes from a young age now starting, whether it was false flags happening in our world or, you know, things that we weren't taught enough about in school, um, you know, lost history, especially once I started teaching in the public school system. And I taught in private schools, I taught in charter schools, I taught from home, I lived in the UK for a while, teaching over there. And there's just so much revisionist history, which we've talked about a lot. And I think that was really illuminating for me and like discovering the Emerald Tablets, you know, like, why aren't we taught that in school? It's one of the old, we, we should have a whole course in our, you know, childhood history classes that teach us about some of the most ancient, you know, scripts in our world, you know, like you had posted something recently that was like, you know, paper records can be burned or rewritten or changed, but you know, what the truth is written in stone. And that's why you're, you know, so into Eridu and these Sumerian tablets and everything like this, because there are too many of these correlating points throughout the ancient world that tie with all of this mysticism, as you can see behind me, whether it's, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, the mystery schools of, you know, that were reignited throughout the Renaissance, you know, I'm so interested in these common threads that it just kept driving me deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's like, you know, there's fascinating stuff out there, whether it's magic or aliens, you know, and we talk about all, all sorts of stuff like this, but I think one of the reasons why you and I have connected again. Is that we really are trying to figure out how to legitimize this type of research for the masses. Yeah. And that's what I, I loved that one of one of your viewers, you know, I was telling you, there was people commenting about you in some Joe Rogan Atlantis episode. And some of the, you know, your fans were like, get hey, Matt LaCroix on Joe Rogan talking about Atlantis. And one of them had said, you know, you could be a university professor teaching a course. On these uh, topics. And I was like, man, that's so true. That's really, really valid. I think the same thing of Ethan Indigo Smith, who I have over here. He's one of the few people that I've seen connect this idea of the Tao and Thoth and the Emerald Tablets, you know, because again, it's these common threads throughout history. And obviously, this is what has led a lot of people to studying Nephilim and, you know, lost scriptures from the Bible and the Anunnaki. And a lot of it ties back to ancient Egypt. and. The ancient egyptian book of the dead the ancient tibetan book of the dead you know there's so much out there that teaches us that consciousness has layers that there are densities of consciousness there are different dimensions of existence and maybe even parallel dimensions if we're not fracturing our own timeline i mean there's just so many unanswered questions out there i mean we can't even tell kids how Al- the pyramids were built. We tell them slaves use buttered logs to roll <laughs> five, th- five ton you know, polished stone up a hundred feet or whatever. It's just, it's ludicrous, you know? So I think, yeah. again, I think back to the TED talk thing, Graham Hancock and Dr. Rupert Sheldrake were banned because the, in essence, Ted had thought that they were proposing the non-locality factor of consciousness, that consciousness can exist outside of the brain. Why do you think that's so dangerous? exactly why is it so dangerous and this is this whole thing which we've talked about it's like okay so if you're telling us that these people are quacks and that this is all phony and, and whatever whatever why are you banning it you know wh- what is the threat to you if it's if it's there's not something there you know why is it so dangerous clearly that's
0: and, volumes then that it's a totally that it, it has an in the ability to change what what do you think happens if something like consciousness from being thought of as just created from the brain, like almost like a, like a computer turns on and it it's humming and then it turns off and it's not going. What about the idea of consciousness being like an antenna that's tuning in? Exactly. Now, what does that do for someone's point of reality and defining who they are? Do you think that would, that would have a big, that would have a big effect on how they view reality, right? Well, it's empowering,
1: right? So anything that's going to help anyone break through any system of control will be shut down. And that's why we see so much division in our world nowadays, because it's like, we don't want people, you know, educating themselves, empowering themselves. It's I saw that from within the inside of the education system, and we actually work with some other teachers, you know, and we've both talked about this. We've all talked about this idea of like, you know, the school to prison pipeline. And it's true. It's really, really sad that we just don't want to empower people by, re- by teaching them about their own consciousness, their own bodies, these lost histories, you know, these lost secrets that, that tie different theologies together. Instead, we'd rather have race wars, religious wars, you know, class wars, et cetera, et cetera. And we have all these people worried about politics and religions and, you know, entertainment and all this stuff. And really, the the answers are within us because you can unlock different realms of reality through your consciousness. And I think that's maybe the most dangerous thing, you know, and why they, you know, we've had psychedelics shut down forever because You know, again, there's so much research and people can talk at length about this better than I can, but about our brains and the pineal gland and cross synaptic firing and how really, you know, both halves of our brains should be working together so we can you know, utilize our full potential. And again, I think this is, you know, through decalcifying the pineal gland, you can kind of free yourself because you're able to dream more through meditation. You're able to free yourself. And I think from a young age, that's why I went to books. And that's what fascinated me. was like, okay, we can create worlds within books where you lose yourself within these books. Not the same as, you know, a movie experience where it's all being given to you, you know, because I love writing and I love film and I love um, music. And I love that in film, you can combine imagery with music. And it's almost, you know, like someone had said, uh, the movie 2001 is like a mystery school into itself. You know, it's like this whole alchemical process all in itself. And I love that idea. But I like the idea even more that through something like reading or writing or meditation, so on and so forth, you can create these different worlds. And you're entering these different realms of consciousness and existence. And again, it's like we don't want you know, yoga taught in schools. We don't want psychedelics to be legal because it will crack open people's minds and make them think, wait a minute, what am I doing chasing this useless materialistic garbage in this type of lifestyle that I'm told I should want? But how is it making me happy? If I'm working, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, and I have two days on the weekends where I can barely have the time to take care of myself or work on other projects. I mean, it's, it's a huge problem for the rest of society, the entire world, you know, we're living in the first world, you know? So it's like we barely have the right to complain. So I think it's, it's really important that people, you know have this kind of breadth of awareness and the powers that be do not want that they want to shut down awareness they want to shut down empowerment they want to shut down this idea that consciousness can exist beyond the brain because it kind of you know opens up this pandora's box of what is possible and what have we been lied to about and so on and so forth you know so
0: yeah what I would just wanted to mention, so Adam is a very, very talented musician who's done a lot of work in a lot of realms uh, that really is quite interesting in the, in the fact that he's done it for, what, do you been a musician for 10 years at least?
1: Um, yeah, gosh, I mean, I'm 31 now. I started bands in high school when I was like 14, 15. Started teaching myself how to play guitar when I was 15. So yeah, um, 15 years or something like that. Um, so
0: I want to take some of his music and out of it at the end of the video, because he's a very talented musician, but I want to, what I want to also add to that is besides music, you've done some really amazing writing that has been inspired from a lot of the esoteric writings that you, you read and the teachings mm-hmm. that you started to understand since what well, you, like, like a teenager up through now. And you started, um, did a very the, the clever concept of taking something like, um, something that's like a, like a science fiction fantasy world but it's really not fully fantasy in this in the sense that a lot of concepts are based on this battle of you know good versus evil and all these aspects of duality and these ancient sides competing against one another and these stories that are woven in that almost have a lot of roots in our own history and reality and did that book series that you're working on is called the gracelands and maybe you can talk about that a little bit
1: yeah, I mean, obviously I don't want to reveal too much because I you don't have like an agent or a publishing deal or anything like that yet, which hopefully will be coming soon. But I'm so glad that you're reading Book One of the Gracelands and you'd like it. Thank you so much for that support. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier that I kind of, you know, created this book series, you know, this idea when I was really young, like 11 or so. And it just you know, kind of warped and transformed over time, hit the back burner. And then when I had spiritual awakening or whatever you want to call it in the year 2012 um it kind of dawned on me that oh my gosh this is my purpose it's like i don't even have a choice like i've you know manifested in this realm at this time for this purpose to try and help other people and you know by encoding esoteric education in this kind of sci-fi fantasy adventure series um you know because again it's been these these things throughout my life like whether it's you know Star Wars or Harry Potter all the way to Carl Jung and Terrence McKenna and these different figures that have you know made me realize different aspects of our reality that can be channeled through writing and through story and obviously Joseph Campbell is another um, huge influence as far as the hero's journey and this idea of the monomyth is really fascinating and you know that we're kind of all the hero in our own stories but um, there's just so much out there as far as like the foil of life when you have all these different characters telling different, you know, representing different elements of the psyche and then um, all these different aspects of the quest and, you know, mankind's journey. And I I really identify with that as far as the quest for ascension or to transcend this type of, you know, they call it the Maya, the illusion that we're living in and to transcend samsara, the wheel cycle of reincarnation. So I guess it's an idea of, it's like infotainment, right? It's like kind of encode because even Star Wars is like all like a bunch of Taoism stuff and like kind of like a samurai Western in a space world, you know, in a, in a way. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like, I, I love that idea. And I love the idea that you can educate throughout entertainment. And, you know, if I can entertain people and inspire them to live their lives better and treat other people better and, live up to their full potential and actually teach them practical ways how to do that i'm you know super chuffed as they say abroad to do so and i think there's just so many methodologies out there that get lost in the shuffle because it's like you know we need to prioritize mental physical emotional spiritual wellness but we don't in the society we barely even talk about it Uh, let alone this idea of not only taking care of your your body but your mind and your soul and this kind of equilibrium of this the trinity you know and that's when you start getting into chakra work or yoga or qigong or tai chi or all these different things i mean it is fascinating as well as uh, ritual magic i mean again it's all so much of it is tied together and i'm so glad that i was listening to your episode with Kadric, our fellow co-worker amazing episode love Kadric. love everything he has to say i love that you guys got into um the roman suppression of knowledge at one point because um, because like obviously we talk about that a lot too and it's just like again you can trace these things throughout history where it's like okay you know something happened here you know the how the fire of alexandria the library burns down the biggest library of esoteric knowledge of all time it's like okay um, something happened there all the crusades something happened there all these wars You know, pretty much everything is a suppression of knowledge, if you think about it. So if I can help expand awareness and offer knowledge um, in ways that maybe could like be in the mainstream somehow, that could be, you know. It could appeal to a wider audience, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, because I feel I always I was telling you, I've always felt like, you know, people who were like in the Star Wars or Guardians of the Galaxy or like The Matrix and Doctor Strange would be really into my work. But then I had one of my students I was telling you about Seongjin. He was 11, a young boy from South Korea living in America that I was teaching English at the time. And he read like the unedited 700 page version of my book, which is like three times as long as it is now. And he loved it. And I didn't even think about, you know, the appeal to because I had hoped that it would be like 14 and up, but he was 11 and he got all of it. He even understood like the numerology and the color coding and like. I don't even know if I showed you this, I'll just send it to you, but um, he made fan artwork. He made the only fan artwork that I have. He did like a mock book cover of the design he thinks it would be. And he encoded all of the colors and the numerology and the symbology and like the geometry that I'm talking about in the book series in this book cover. And I was like, how does this kid, because you haven't gotten to that part yet where I kind of have this, my own system of numerology that kind of dawned on me. In the year 2012, which lines up with a lot of different um numerology systems. But um yeah, you know, it's just I hadn't thought of the appeal of like you know, young kids who are super into anime and how anime has just exploded. Um, Naruto is a really great one. Obviously, Dragon Ball Z was big when we were young, but that was just kind of the gateway. Now it's like One Piece, Naruto, you know, all these huge, huge animes, and um. Inuyasha is another one that my wife and I had liked. And, you know, there's a lot of common threads there, of like, you know, like a Final Fantasy game, like you start with one character and you start building up a team or whatever. And again, I love Jungian psychology. and He always says that the universe speaks in metaphor and symbol and archetypes, you know? And I think there's really something to be said about that. And again, back to Joseph Campbell's, you know, theory of the monomyth and the hero's journey is like, we have these symbols that appear again and again in our lives and again around the year 2012 when I was you know at in 2011 I was down and out and then 2012 it was like all of a sudden all these things were happening to me where I was like meeting people on the street who were like saying like absurd things to me like you know and then you start feeling like you know people start acting like you're crazy and you never want to be one of those people who's like reading license plates or something or like you know like Cause it's like, there's a really thin line. We know this, you know, I'm sure, you know especially Cedric doing paranormal I can only imagine what he's coming into contact with or so it's like, my relatives are speaking to me and maybe they are, maybe they're not you know, you need a professional to get to the bottom of stuff like that and again, that's why I respect your work because you're trying to bring accreditation into these fields so we can tie all of these threads of esoteric knowledge and ancient origins together today with modern science because again, it's like We have so much modern science that is proving what, you know, we've been discussing throughout humanity's history as far back as it goes, you know, especially as far as realms of consciousness and the cycles of life, death and rebirth and transcending all that. So that's kind of, you know, the quest, I feel like. And that's what I'm trying to embody in the books. You know, I want it to be a nine book series, Who knows? any who knows if any publisher agent will sign off on that madness but um already got one done pretty much and i love this idea of kind of the soul's journey you know um the hero's journey this quest to kind of transcend all of this and you're asking about one of these books back here high magic by damian Eccles, and he talks a lot about this as far as what ritual magic has to say about this tracing back to the pagan traditions and whatnot and it seems to be that there's a common thread of this um, idea of the solar body. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I really love finding out about things like that. You know, I really love uh, William Henry's a great researcher. Obviously, we talked about Grant Hancock, Dr. Luke Sheldrake, Terrence McKenna. You know, in the year 2012, I had done LSD and then DMT for the first times in my life. And again, I haven't done those a lot. And it was such an amazingly overwhelming positive experience where it was just like a total affirmation of everything I've ever thought in my life. Like since childhood, I've been like, you know, there's a real possibility that, you know, like genies or dragons or magic or aliens or whatever, that's all real. Like, why wouldn't that be real? You know, because one of my favorite authors has this line, like, there's a thread of truth and every lie, story, and tall tale ever been told, because otherwise it wouldn't exist. Where would it have come from? And it's like, you know, it's kind of like this idea of what makes us think these thoughts. And again, like you were talking about consciousness being almost more like a frequency that you dial into. And Nassim Harani, the physicist who works often with Gaia and other programs, again, he's super into quantum mechanics and the observer effects. And he talks a lot about, you know, Dr. Robert Gilbert also is into uh, biogeometry and he talks a lot about how everything has an electromagnetic, you know, signature to it, all living things, you know, plants, animals, humans, da da da. And this is why Dr. Rupert Sheldrake says this, these are layers of consciousness, right? And so it's every layer of consciousness is projecting outwards, morphic resonance, a blend of all the senses, and then they're interacting. But how high do these levels of consciousness go? You know, and that's why throughout meditation, psychedelics, da da da, you can tune into these different fields of consciousness by using your own consciousness like, a, like a dial, right? And I think that was one of the huge things for me being on psychedelics is at this point in my life I was already getting into meditation, I was already doing. Um, dream journaling, which was really leading to an amazing amount of lucid dreams. I don't even know if detailed to see some of the lucid dreams I've had, um, but really, really amazing experiences that kind of leave you like, you're shaken when you wake up, you know, it's like, well, how did that just happen? How was I awake during a dream? How was I controlling what was happening? And it seemed just as real as right now, you know? So then when I had did LSD for the first time, it was a really positive trip. And that was more just like a nice connection with nature. And again, it was kind of this reaffirmation of like, you know, my grandfather had just passed and we were really, really close. And it almost kind of felt like closure for me in that it was like, okay, like there's something going on with consciousness and with souls that we can't even really explain. So why would I get super upset about this when I can't even articulate it or understand it, you know, and the power of influence and the power of love and, so then after that, when I had done dimethyltryptamine for the first time, and this was like before, the, like the spirit molecule documentary of Joe Rogan, like talking about it every five seconds and, you know, uh, Terrence McKenna, I had never even heard of him yet. So I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I think I had told you I was just living in Detroit and some friends were, you know, smoking weed and I would go and smoke marijuana with them once in a while because one of the guys upstairs was growing. Then I walked in and they were all really like zen and quiet which is weird because they weren't like giggly or anything. And then they handed me this pipe and then they wouldn't let me smoke it. They're like, no, 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 we have to tell you there's DMT in that. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. And my friend said, well, it's like LSD times a million, but it only lasts 15 minutes. I said, okay, well, I don't know about that, but I just did LSD and it was a wonderful experience. So sure, why not? I've been told these things are horrible my whole life. I've never been into pills or powders or anything like that. I didn't even start smoking weed till I was 18 or 19. I was a really good... little boy as they say you know I was I was skeptical I think we both talked about this it's like you never want to be that guy I've never had a desire to be a burnout I've been if anything I've always aspired to be an academic you know I've been (laughs) reading my entire life so I guess I was skeptical and afraid of even the hallucinogens and then upon doing LSD. I was like oh my gosh I feel like this just unlocked a part of my mind and you know calmed my soul and reaffirmed all these things that I've felt and known since childhood and then time that the tryptamine was a whole different beast because you just smoke it or you know i guess in medical clinical studies you can have it injected which seems terrifying because it's so powerful you know i had done one puff at first and i was like how do you know if this is happening if this is working or whatever and they're like oh if you're talking to me it's not working and then as i was like they put more on i was lighting it up again i was like i don't know what does that even mean and i think i told you I, as soon as it like hit me I saw, I was looking at a digital clock and it just kind of like, like one of those old Microsoft screensaver things. And it was like, with my eyes open, waking dissociation as a psychology would describe it. You know, I just started seeing geometric patterns. And then it was like this rushing feeling where it just felt like my soul just left my body and I just kept going and I just kept going. I think I described it too. As I've told other people, it's almost like a magical boomerang appears and you dip it into your chest. You pull it out with your soul on it, and then it just gets whipped through layers and layers of reality, and this, your soul just rides this boomerang going through all these layers. And I've had this experience in meditation before, or out-of-body experiences as well. So I wasn't like super terrified, but as I had heard Terrence McKenna describe later, you immediately start checking your meters because your eyes are open, you're still breathing, but you don't know what the hell's going on anymore. It's kind of terrifying, but overwhelmingly it became positive you know very quickly it was like blasting through all these layers of consciousness until i don't know if it's the godhead or a level of christ consciousness or whatever this golden kind of pure loving light and it was kind of like returning home type of thing it was like oh like this is what everyone's talking about this is reality what i was just experiencing is not real and i kept remembering having that you know thought and i was repeating that over and over again like this is the real reality like what we're experiencing is not real and a lot of people who have had the dmt experience discuss that and say this idea that you know that experience has felt more real than any level of reality here on earth or through our waking life and this three-dimensional existence that we've experienced And i think that's why it's so powerful why it's like even someone like me i think i've done it once or twice yeah two times And it was just totally life-changing. You know, this was 10 plus years ago. And it was absolutely confounding, but it was also overwhelmingly inspiring and uplifting and positive. So that kind of sent me down more rabbit holes. Like, okay, again, what is consciousness? We don't understand what this is. What are we existing within? You know, and I hadn't heard of Terrence McKenna He became a huge inspiration for me because he's been talking about this stuff since the late 60s. He was doing DMT in the late 60s when it was legal in Berkeley, you know, and then obviously Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert lost their jobs. And then Timothy Leary became like the acid guru and he kept saying, tune in, you know, drop out and that. And I understand what he was meaning by that, but it just became this whole kind of movement that was taken over by like Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. And just people were terrified of what LSD would do. You're going to jump out of a window, blah, blah, blah. That's why Richard Alpert ended up going east and he became Ram Dass and became much more spiritual about it. Terrence McKenna, on the other hand, stayed on the course of, you know, researching the biology of these plant medicines. Okay, what's going on here? You know, and so this then leads you into shamanism. And then it's like, okay, at the time, you know, again, talk about being ostracized from society. My family thought I had lost my mind. Even my friends were like, "What's going on?" You know, they felt like I was manic because all of a sudden it was like my life's purpose to write books and educate people and help people and spread love was reignited. And I think it was just overwhelming for people who had, you know, known me and you know, gone through life this, especially like growing up between Flint and Detroit and Michigan. It's not the you know most bright of places all the time, especially during the winter. So again it's like I was felt like I was you know a horrible person because I had done LSD and DMT once each or something and been reborn and in reality you know these are plant medicines that have been a part of the human story for thousands and thousands of years and that's why Terence McKenna and Graham Hancock are trying to bring these tales of shamanism to the forefront and so whether it's shamanism or, you know, ancient ritual magic, again, these are ways that consciousness can be changed. I think that's why I've been so obsessed with music for so long since childhood, because everything is frequency, everything has an electromagnetic frequency, you can change your own frequency, and you're changing your own consciousness. So again, we're talking about suppressed information here that people don't want us to know, because then you can align with what you really want, in life and then you can manifest it you know i mean yeah again like both of us aren't you know millionaires or anything but at least we're on a path where we're working for a great company like gaia we're meeting amazing people like each other like kdrick you know there's something at play here where you can't deny that this in this cosmic battle of light versus dark and yin and yang and good and evil that there is something happening on you know the cosmic stage the stage of time if you will. Um, that's unfolding and we're all a part of it. You know, and I think that golden thread, as people say, these cosmic connections are one of the things that kept pushing me forward in life and further down these rabbit holes. And again, Terrence McKenna is an interesting figure. um, God rest his soul, he died way too young. Another one of those people where it's like, was he targeted, was he killed? Because he had brain, he was so healthy and then he had brain cancer and he died in the year 2000. And his brother Dennis is still alive. And they're both biologists, and I think his brother Dennis is in pharmacology now, trying to get more natural psychedelics into the pharmacological system. But uh, Terence McKenna was so interested in shamanism, psychedelics, and um, ritual magic, and hermeticism, and everything like that. So, and that can be kind of a, a good segue to then what really kind of became more life-affirming things that I was discovering. Um, I wanted to bring up a couple of my favorite works besides what's all this listed here with the secret teachings of all ages and your book and Ethan's book and, you know, this great book on alchemy and mysticism, which is more like a, a picture um, encyclopedia. I really fell into, in love with the doubt itching. And this is, I don't even know, again, maybe 2013, 2014, that I really dove into it. And then I really fell in love with Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And these books specifically are kind of compendiums of wisdom where, you know, the Tao is how old? Thousands of years old? We don't even really know. And, you know, Meditations is written by Marcus Aurelius, the philosopher on the throne and like, you know, the year 500 or 400 or something like that. The first century, I anyways, mean, that's documented AD. And you read these ancient texts and they could, they read like they were written yesterday. Like the knowledge and the philosophy And the wisdom is timeless. And again, now we're back to this idea of like, okay, what's happening when you're even writing or when you're reading, you know, you're putting your consciousness onto a page or onto a tablet. You're storing information from your consciousness. Again, so it's like what's happening with this consciousness, you know, transference of existence and ideas here. And then eventually I discovered Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, which is like a very, very famous book that was made even more famous by um, Steve Jobs and uh, George Harrison of the Beatles. Supposedly, both of those dudes had like boxes of that book and they would just hand it out to people. I guess it was on every iPad and every like, you know, um, Macintosh computer that Steve Jobs gave to his employees. He said he would read it once a year. and so what is with, what are with these texts? Why, why do so many people talk about the Tao Te Ching and Meditations by Marcus Aurelius and Autobiography of a Yogi? And it's like, okay, again, it's like, we have this idea of a mystery school where you can educate yourself on the mysticism of the wonders of the universe and how can you unlock elements of your mind, body, soul to be in better harmony with our natural world. And some of these books are like a mystery school unto themselves. You know, just like we were talking about the the movie 2001 by Kubrick, you know, it's, it's like a mystery school. It starts and ends with the black box, you know, and literally tells the human story in between. So I think something, there's something to be said about these books that you can go back to, like compendiums of knowledge. And again, Autobiography of a Yogi was written in like the 40s, I think by, you know, a man from the East who said that he would never have learned English if it wasn't his, you know, God-given purpose, basically. He didn't want to learn English even, and then he ended up going to the West. And I thought, you know, and I think what really interests me about that book is that it was more affirmations of, like, okay, there's a whole chapter in there where his, um, his master, like, after he dies, rematerializes to Yogananda and then gives him, like, an entire breakdown of the astral world and how it's, you know, sectioned off and blah blah blah. And it is the most scientific breakdown I've ever read of these astral spaces, you know, like a, a real like map which is so beautiful. It's like I refer back to that chapter a lot. Um Sri Dr. is his master who, you know, rematerialized But more than that, it also teaches that Yogananda talked a lot about the secret teachings of Jesus, which was a, a brand of yoga, really a brand, a sect, whatever you want to call it. People talk about Kundalini yoga all the time, you know aligning the chakras and, you know, having your soul go up your spinal cord and kind of shoot out the top of your head, which is exactly what I think happens during these, during samadhi, during these bliss out experiences, during a DMT experience, during an OBE. I've had, you know, been in meditation and then actually had this happen to me. And Some people in the East say great meditation technique is just to stare at one object or spot on the wall until you kind of become the room and you dissolve and your consciousness becomes the room and all of these different things i think are again it's just like proof you know it's like okay like people have been doing this for so long they've been trying to share this information for so long and um people talk about kundalini yoga a lot but they don't talk about kriya yoga a lot and kriya yoga is what auto, what the autobiography of a yogi author paramahansa yogananda was trying to teach the world basically and they, they now have like these centers self-realization fellowship centers all over the world and people have a bunch of different opinions about those but kriya yoga seems to be this what he claimed to be the secret teachings of jesus and i wanted to get into this a little bit because again connecting to all the esoteric mystic, mysticism i'm fascinated with you know whether it's the Gnostics, or the Rosicrucians, or Hermetic Sciences, studying the Kabbalion, or the Emerald Tablets, or the Essenes, the Cathars, the Mary Magdalene Mystery Schools, the Magdalenos, you know, I think all of these are connected. I think these are connected to the disciples of Christ. And, you know, each one of them broke off to, you know, have these different sects, which were really just different mystery schools that were teaching what Yogananda seems to promote, proposed was Kriya Yoga, which was taught to him by Babaji. And Avatar Babaji is this, you know, force, this cosmic being who's immortal and seems to, you know, appear throughout different times throughout Earth's history to help enlightened individuals pass down wisdom. And I think I had told you the whole, this whole story, which is recounted in Autobiography of a Yogi, of, you know, his you know, direct lineage of this. There was an Indian mystic in the late 1800s named Lahari Masha, Larry Masha. And um, he, again, he was just like a regular middle-aged dude who was working, you know, a lot of people were working for the railroads around that time. I know Yogananda's family was heavily involved higher up at the railroads. But this guy, Larry Masha, Lahari Masha in the late 1800s was, you know, I think in his 40s, Working a regular job, marriage, etc. cetera. And then he was walking home one day and Avatar Babaji appeared to him and supposedly said something along the lines like, You're taking too long. Like, wow. what are you doing? You remember who you are. You know, you got to help me. I need your help. And Larry Masha was just terrified and, you know, what's happening? And Babaji just boop, touched Larry Masha. Well, wow, a little energy transference there. Um, touched Larry Masha on in his third eye and then he became awakened. And Stories go that his wife came home to find him like levitating around the house and she was like crying and terrified, thought he was possessed or something. And then she was like, He was like, No, I'm awakened. You know, I remember I'm this cosmic ageless being incarnated in this form to help, you know, help humanity, a bodhisattva. So then he became this really popular mystic in this section of India in this time. And obviously, this is all, you know, very well documented throughout multiple books, Wikipedia, et cetera, cetera, and so forth. And again, Yogananda's father was working with the British to establish the railroad systems through India. So he wasn't really interested in spirituality or mysticism or religion like a lot of people were. He wasn't a deep Hindu or anything like that. But Yogananda's mother was. So she went to go see Lahari Masha speak. And so the story goes is that, you know, she was in this huge crowd of people, you know, watching Lahari Masha teaching Kriya Yoga and meditation techniques. Then he kind of was like, you, like the woman in the back, called her forward. And she had, I don't even know if she knew she was pregnant or if he broke the news, but she, he was like, you're pregnant, your baby will be the one to bring yoga to the West. And that ended up being Yogananda. Lehay Masha ended up dying before Yogananda was even born. Um, he performed, I forget the word for it, but there's a word where mystics would leave their body on cue, you know, die right in front of a group of people just to prove to them that that's, you know, what you could do you're really that in control of your consciousness. And so he did that in front of a group of people before Yogananda was even born. But his student, Sri Yukteswar, ended up becoming Yogananda's teacher. But Yogananda didn't even meet Sri Yukteswar until he was in his teens almost. He was searching for him for his whole life. And again, that whole book is just like these amazing cosmic coincidences, which we know aren't coincidences, they're synchronicities, which again was terms by Carl Jung. Yeah. Dude really knew what was going on. And the stories in that book are just out of this world. And you can verify most of them. There's a lot of, you know, extra accounts and historical accounts. I think I was telling you about Therese Newman. That's one of, you know, I looked for, like you, I looked for like smoking guns throughout history where it's like, oh my gosh, you cannot deny something was going on here. Like we don't even have conclusive stories. You know, 9-11 um, is a good one. Admiral Byrd is a good one. The pyramids are a good one. The <laughs> tablets are a good one. Therese Newman is another really, really good one. So basically, she was a German saint, they say, who, you know, starting at age seven or something crazy like that, stopped eating. She never had to eat and she never had to drink. She would only have the little wafer, you know, like the sacrament on Sundays or whatever, and the little glass of juice or wine or whatever. That was it, starting at like age seven or eight. Never had to eat, never had to drink. And every Thursday night to Sunday, she would experience the um, crucifixion of Christ as if it was happening to her to the points where she would get the stigmata. she Her eyes would bleed. I mean, these pictures are, are like, out of a horror movie and they're from like the 30s and 40s. She would get the um, stab from the spear of destiny. All of it, just, you know, nonstop blood. Oh, these wounds would open and then they'd close. Thursday to Sunday. Um, so Yogananda heard about this and he was like, you know, for a while, there's a part in the book where he's going back to India, he travels all the way through Europe, goes all the way through these ancient sites, which have been destroyed by the wars in the Middle East now. And he even talks about how these all these ancient sites, the path of Christ and all of his disciples, all these locations in the Middle East have been conveniently destroyed throughout the Gulf Wars now. Um, But it's almost like Yogananda troop hunter or something, because he's this mystic who has these powers to go into samadhi and tap into these other states of consciousness whenever he wants to. And then he starts going around kind of investigating other mystics and is like, are these people legit? Almost like what Houdini was doing when he was like, you know, proving all the charlatans, uh, you know, mystics in the early 1900s. So Yogananda was doing the same thing, and I think that's why he went to go see Therese Newman in the first place. It was like, what is happening with this German saint woman who's you know supposedly bleeding and not dying? She doesn't need to eat or drink. Da da da. So as soon as he got there, she was already in the process. You know, she was like a Friday or Saturday, so she was in the trance and like bleeding and everything. And um, I, because Yogananda was powerful with his consciousness, he was able to enter that level of consciousness with her and said so he saw the whole thing going down. He was right there with Christ and all of this. Um, and then his, his assistant was with him and it was such an intense scene, I guess his assistant, who's like a grown dude, like 40 something, passed out <laughs> and hit his head and started bleeding and had to leave. And that actually but forced himself to come back because he was like, as horrifying as it was, I had to see it. And uh, eventually the Catholic church uh, scooped Therese Newman up and put her in some church in Germany and, it, uh, and started like charging admission. To like see this for like the rest of her life eventually after this whole thing with Yogananda happened, um, but yeah, man, there's a lot of a lot of awakened beings throughout time, you know. And I think Christ, Yogananda, uh, Mohammed, Buddha, uh, Padmasambhava, uh, Mani of uh, Manichaeism, um, the, uh, the Guru Ma, who also is introduced through um, Yogananda an Autobiography of a Yogi. Uh, St. Germain, even, you know, there's a lot of these figures where it's like, okay, how do we have these figures who live so long, or they were ageless, or they were able to perform miracles, there's too many stories that are are correlated by too many people that seem too magnificent, that we don't have enough information on. So I think it's, you know, it's like that childlike wonder, when you discover, discover stories like this, that are like, you know, historical accounts, and there's photos and whatnot. To back it up and i think you know it's like whether you know i was younger researching aliens or then when i'm older diving into this stuff there's so much mystery out there in the world and i think a lot of you know what these mysteries hold are clues to you know an elevated existence
0: yeah so that was very well said. Um, a very good explanation of like so many different um, esoteric teachings and how they provide this message that just seems shared basically all around the world. I mean, where well, you want to go from um, the Mayan Popol vu. If um, you want to go down through any any cult, ancient culture in the Americas and what they left behind, to anything throughout the Mediterranean, any kind of Greek hermetic text, anything Egyptian, anything ancient Definitely. Hindu, Tibetan you know, ancient Chinese or Japanese or a number of other areas that I'm missing, they're really all just saying the same thing. And I think really what it comes down to are these shared teachings from, like you said, these mystery schools, these sages and mystics that just travel around the world and influence these cultures all over the place. And it's quite amazing how today most people will view a few of these books when they see them occasionally, like if they come across them as, you know, what's the significance of of reading that? I don't don't understand. What's the point, but really that is the point, right? If we, Mm -hmm. if we don't follow those ancient teachings at all, we're, we're not going to be able to understand anything above a base consciousness. It's really about this, this, these levels of awareness and these individuals, Mm -hmm. I think really the totality of what you said very well, this story of how, individuals like you and I and many others that are listening to this just feel very different from a young age very inquisitive something just something something's a little bit different and and you have to um, follow what those breadcrumbs are that are being led along the way because I think there's a path that unfolds for individuals that have the potential to be something significant I think it, it comes down to that and that statement may seem like it's superior to others for some reason, but. I think there's there's always been this idea that our destiny, like the ordainers of destinies, which is throughout tablets, talking about this concept of individuals that have a certain possible pathway mm-hmm. of learning a certain amount of knowledge and then blossoming into like this completely different individual throughout their life mm-hmm. and contributing in all these different ways. Those individuals seem guided along the way by all these little hidden voices and these breadcrumbs and these messages, do you feel like your path, it sounds like your path was guided in the, all those little ways as well with not only your, your psychedelic experiences, but reading all of the ancient texts and even some, you had a, some strange experiences with um, like you said, leaving mm. your body and, ha- and seeing what consciousness yeah. truly is from what defines it. Um, yeah. But maybe just, do you think that this, is important because here we are at a time when a lot of these ancient mystics and sages and who knows who we are and who all these other ones are listening to are Mm -hmm. but um do you think it's something whereas you know that these great masters are all back for a great time of
1: transition right now oh i think without a doubt these are times of transition i mean it's interesting you know we talk a lot about you know the modern world and politics and you know false flags and obviously we don't have to go into that or any conspiracies or anything but i remember um reading recently that the emergency powers that trudeau had invoked in canada had not been invoked since world war ii and this was pre-ukraine russia conflict the yeah so i i think that alone is an indication of what's happening you know you have you have voices like um, Joe Rogan and Russell Brand or even Dave Chappelle, you know, who are, these people were considered liberal comedians for the majority of their careers. And now they're being outed as far-right or, you know, closed-minded or- Misinformation. Right? Or the danger Right, exactly. So it's the ultimate irony of misinformation because it's like, we talk about misinformation or disinformation and the difference between, we've talked about that before, but it's like, you know, the powers that be have been on a disinformation campaign since the Roman Empire. As Philip K. Dick always says, the empire never ended. You know, it's like New York is just another port of York that's happening. It's just this constant, you know, play this on the stage of time. That's these puppet masters are kind of creating this society and these civilizations and these isms and all oh, capitalism is superior to communism and don't do socialism, you know, it's all corrupt. It's 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 all corrupt. It's like, oh, you have to be left or liberal if you're, you know, a valiant, you know, virtuous human being. Oh, no, you have to be right and conservative and, you know, uphold these values. And it's, not, it's all backwards. It's all no, this division, I mean. division tactics. Like I was saying, it's like, whether it's over, race creed class color you know whatever it's like people will divide in any way they can and you know they will divide the masses in any way they can because they don't want us to empower ourselves they don't want us to work together they don't want us to know how strong we are uniting and information is dangerous so they'll label it misinformation or disinformation because again they don't want that you know type of empowering educational force out there and someone like russell brand was a drug addict when he had a job at mtv in the uk so it's like if you're a drug addict and you're and you're working and you're you know feeding the machine you're okay but now that he's been sober for however many years and he's been helping countless people get sober and you know people say he's oh well he's branded himself a spiritual guru or you know he talks too much about consciousness okay that's a bad thing or i don't like his accent or i don't like his hair or, i don't like the you know what what he's wearing or whatever. And it's like, what about what he's saying? You know? And that's this whole thing about Joe Rogan. It's like, now he's just like a racist or he's a conservative or whatever. And it's like, what about what he's saying? What about what these doctors are saying? What about what all these people are starting to say who are being silenced? And again, it's like the whole thing with the band TED Talks, which ironically made the Rupert Sheldrake and Graham Hancock presentations even more popular. If it's just, you know, shenanigans, if it's all phooey, what do they care? Why? Why do they want to shut it down so bad? And so again, it, it makes you realize the power with information. You know, knowledge is power. So I think that's something I've really valued since I was a kid. You know, the, I could read and write almost at the same time. I could talk. You know, and that's because my mom was a teacher. You know, before she had four kids, had to take care of them or whatever. And my grandfather was a writer for the Detroit Free Press, um, as you know. And I think writing has been, writing and reading has been instilled in me since youth. And that alone is a power, you know, that hasn't been a regular thing until the last few hundred years. So it's, again, it's like this constant separation of knowledge, which is power and information separated from the masses, you know, and it's like, you look at the church, the churches are the ones who've done this for so long. And that was you know, one thing, again, that you and K. were talking about was the Roman suppression of information. You know, the empire has never ended. That's what the Crusades were. I mean, a lot of people don't even talk about how the first Crusade was all in Europe. It was just a strictly a European genocide. You know, they, the Catholic Roman Church, which, I again, I always remind people of this, the place that killed Christ, Rome was responsible for the death of Christ and the crucifixion, became the center of Christ's worship through Catholicism, which was all gate kept and in guarded information, right? And so then the Cathars, the Essenes, the Rosicrucians, the Gnostics, the Druids, the Pagans, the Magdalenos, they were a threat because they had extra information. So they were wiped out. And then eventually, you know, it took Martin Luther to eventually get the text out to people. And then people started educating themselves more. And, you know, the Enlightenment happened, then the Renaissance happened. And, and you have all of these, you know, characters like the medici family researching deep deep back into egyptian wisdom then that's how you get stuff like the cabalian you know coming out which is really more like a was rediscovered in like greek and hellenic times and that's you know all again these ties you know it's like you think back to the emerald tablets of egypt and the you know libraries of alexandria and how this information traveled from north Eastern Africa, all the way through the Middle East with the Moors and then the mystery schools of the Middle East, and then connecting with Hinduism, Buddhism, the mystery schools of Tibet and so on, before then made its way into Europe and eventually was ignited with the Renaissance. And then you have all these amazing works by Botticelli and Michelangelo and Da Vinci, which are again, encoding these esoteric secrets. And again, that's why I love the work of people like um, William Henry or even uh, Robert Edward Grant, you know, these people who are really into, you know, uncovering these kind of secrets that are right there under our noses. I mean, look at something like the Da Vinci Code, and how popular that's gotten, you know, it's like, it's the ultimate irony that you have, like Tom Hanks, like playing this, like, you know, philosophy, you know, psychologist, who's, again, expertise, archetypes, and symbolism, and symbology, and, you know, it's like, I, I always forget the, the swastika. That was an originally, you know, a native symbol from an indigenous tribe that was, you know, perverted by the Nazis. And again, it's like you have all of these connections throughout time. No one ever talks about the fact that when Hitler and the Third Reich were looking for all of these, you know, historical, spiritual, biblical artifacts around the world, like the Holy Grail and the Spirit of Destiny and the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff. At the same time that was happening, FDR... And his secretary, uh, I think his name's Henry Wallace, uh, they were literally racing Hitler all the way from Europe across Asia, all the way into Tibet, looking for the philosopher's stone, the, the Chintamani stone, as people call it. And they were in contact regularly, you can read these letters, they're historical documents, they're out there, with FDR and his secretary, Henry Wallace, writing with an artist and mystic named Nicholas Rorick. Have you ever heard of that guy before?
0: No. No, oh, man.
1: Super, super cool. Yeah, him and his wife were these mystics who were, like, living around Europe and eventually had art studios in America. Obviously, they were working with FDR. But they were straight up on a mission, on a quest, working for FDR, like, racing the Nazis through Asia into Tibet trying to find where a philosopher's stone could be or what does that even mean? You know, are we the philosopher's stone? That's what alchemy seems to teach, you know, is that we can crystallize our consciousness and all of a sudden, you know, do all sorts of miraculous things. And there's a lot of amazing artwork that uh, Rorick completed along the way. And it it reminds me a lot of the artwork that is in um, Carl Jung's Red Book, which I don't know if you've looked through enough of that, but you know young essentially went down the rabbit hole himself and i don't know if he was doing psychedelics i think it's rumored he was but basically he just was on a quest to lose his mind like nietzsche was trying to do like go to the edges of what is sanity to figure out what is consciousness you know because obviously young was so deep into this stuff but what he found and what he did and all these paintings and all this work and these notes which became the red book by young was not published when he was alive. It wasn't even published, I think, for the first time until the early 2000s by the young, by the youngians or the young estate. And it's so crazy because they basically thought it would tank his career because, and this was before, you know, Timothy Leary and Albert, um, Richard Albert slash Roundust had lost their careers, you know, and this was before people had talked about, you know, Albert Hoffman creating LSD. Like all of this stuff was swimming around, you know, there were all of these really high, minded academics doing you know like cocaine and lsd and dmt and mushrooms and whatever before any of that was made illegal and obviously you know that's talk about conspiracies in itself i mean it's it's so blatant you know what nixon did i mean the statistics are astounding you know when nixon decided to you know make just across the board everything illegal the amount of prisons that they made, that they built to accommodate. I mean, it was like three or four times the entire American system, prison system just you know, extrapolated. We now is have the highest percentage? incarcerated yeah. population, yeah. yeah. And there's actually been revealed now, there's these archives, which is in the Library of Congress. This, there was like a great documentary on marijuana that the dude who used to host Yo! MTV Raps did. And it got really political. And he goes in the Library of Congress and they found these records of Nixon and just like Biden using the n-word talking about working with the police to build more prisons and arrest African-Americans and hippies and they and they literally said Nixon said this in the Oval Office which is on tape in the Library of Congress he says well we can't arrest we can't just make a law to arrest blacks and hippies because obviously hippies were you know they were all empathizing with each other at that time and we can't make a law to arrest blacks and hippies so we're just going to outlaw what we're pretty sure all of them do. And that's why marijuana got outlawed and then LSD and all this other stuff. And they built all these prisons to accommodate because, again, no one wants, no one who's in power wants to empower anyone who's depending on them. And when you start reaching into your own soul and your own consciousness and unlocking your own potential, you realize you don't need to be depending on these powers that be. I mean, that's why you have so many people going off the grid and, you know, starting to live off of green energy and, you know, buy plots of land, build, you know, homes that are running off of solar and water and everything like that. I think sustainable communities are the future in a way, because I think a lot of these systems that be are going to continue to crumble. And we need to look at it as an empowering time for humanity and not not keep giving into fear mongering that's continual, you know, throughout our day to day existence. And, you know, it's like everybody's mental health worldwide is shot right now. It's like it's not just one group of people in one place or another, you know, between a global pandemic. And now people keep talking about World War Three and blah, blah, blah. It's constant fear mongering. And you could instead go into meditation, get into exercise, get into, you know, all of these different avenues of awakening your consciousness and expanding your awareness that could help you and in turn help humanity especially if you're taking that knowledge and you're using it to help other people whether it's sustainable farming or educational services or you know sharing positive frequencies through music entertainment you know there's so many avenues out there i think that's why you know, I was in a band ever. I think that's why I helped start an underground music festival in Detroit, whatever fest at the time. And now it's still going, you know, there's it like, it's like Flight Club, it like popped up in other cities around the US, um, whatever fest anywhere where it can be. It's underground independent artists, you know, and that led me to starting my label, Underflow Records. I should have like stickers, but you can show the logo or something. Um, And Underflow Records was just kind of like, again, a no brainer. It's like, I want to release music. I want to publish writings. I want to help people. So Underflow Records is just like, okay, I have all these friends from all around the world who are super talented musicians. I have all these projects that I've been a part of. Either my own solo music as Quells, my band Shady Groves. I had another band back in Detroit in my early twenties called The Kodaks. and I had all these projects and no real proper avenue to release the music. I've had a lot of like near misses, a lot of like potential record label deals and da-da-da-da-da. Recorded in different studios, put my own money down, and then ended up having no one to release the product. And I'd always kind of wanted to again have my own type of collective and artistic, you know, organization for output. So it just made sense to create underflow. And now I'm helping people release their music and you know, I'm working on books, I'm working on music, I'm working with you, I'm working with Gaia, you know, I'm happy to do whatever I can for the betterment of humanity, because as you said, I think we're at a, a tipping point, a transitionary era, as you and I always say, we're at the precipice of something, you know, and a lot of people thought it was the year 2012, and a lot of conspiracy theorists were like, you'll know when it's happening, because there will be tanks in the streets. It's like, well, that happened in 2012 and the last few years. And who knows what's happening with all these conflicts or orchestrated conflicts or, um, you know, the global stages that we're constantly watching. You know, it's like I feel like the TV is the new Roman Colosseum. You know, it's like anything to keep people distracted and divided. And people just need to start rising above that and finding that we have more commonalities, whether it's people from different religions, different geographical areas, different backgrounds different philosophies different political paradigms that so we have to break through all of that and realize that yeah we're living in a dualistic you know universe we're constantly experiencing polarity in this form of existence but i really feel that the higher you elevate your own consciousness the further you get away from duality and polarity and you start seeing like oh we're all one here we're all a part of this cosmic system. And that is the golden thread. You know, we're all these we're units of consciousness that are connected to a greater unit of consciousness, which Terence McKenna sometimes talked about as the transcendental object at the end of time, which is not, I don't think what he was intending to be God, but you know, there's so many theories about it. And I, I'm, I'm happy to continue to go down those rabbit holes and offer any nuggets of wisdom and education to the rest of the population that I can, if I can.
0: Very well said. I really like how you summed it up there with uh, looking at where we're going and and the positivity behind it all. That's that was really, really well said, Adam. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. That was a great place to end for being on the show today. And maybe just leave everybody with a few of the the better locations and links for where they can find some of your work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much for inviting me here, you know, um, through years of being a teacher, being a journalist, now working with Gaia, working with you, working on music and my own books. It's a privilege to continue to grow these avenues to help share with other people. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, Again, my band is Shady Groves. My name is Adam Fitzgerald. My solo music, I DJ and play my own shows and release music as quells, as in music quells the soul. And uh, yeah, the label is Underflow Records, underflowrecords.com. And yeah, I just hope everybody can find peace within themselves and remember uh, some of my favorite words of Lao Tzu, uh, simplicity, patience, and compassion. These are your greatest treasures. So yeah, thanks again, Matt.
0: Yeah, very well said. And you can find coming up soon adam's first book of his graceland series so make sure you keep an eye out for that and i wanted to just say thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of mastermind discussions until the next one